Amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. Thank you, God, that there's all power in your hand. We thank you, God, that you can break every chain. You break every bond. You break all the bonds of wickedness, God. We thank you that through your, Jesus, through your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, Jesus, you killed death. You canceled sin. And you broke all the bonds of wickedness. You canceled every curse. You became a curse for us to remove the curse of sin from us. You defeated Satan and all his, all his minions, all his demons are rendered powerless against your people, God. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for how you, you've just brought glory to yourself and you revealed who you are through your acts in the world all the way from creation to delivering your people from slavery in Egypt, leading them through the wilderness with miraculous signs and wonders, parting the Red Sea, leading them by a, a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, establishing them in the land, God. And through that, sending Jesus born of a virgin, uh, born of man and of God, the Son of God and, and Son of Man in one person. And Jesus, you lived that perfect, sinless life. You obeyed all the law of God perfectly in our place. And you went to the cross and died that death that we deserve to die for our sins, for the way that we failed. You took the wrath of God, the punishment of God upon yourself for us on the cross. And you died, but you didn't stay dead. You rose from the dead, showing that that sin is paid, the debt is paid, and death is canceled, death is dead, and one day death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire, along with, with Hades, along with hell, and, and Satan, and all evil is going to be separated, you're going to establish your kingdom, God, and you're going to reign over all the earth, and over all the heaven, over all creation, again, and we thank you that for those of us who are believing in you, you're, we are going to be brought into that new kingdom, God. May your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven, God. And as we talk today about your kingdom, God, let us see the value of your kingdom above all the kingdoms of this, of this world, God, and above our own little kingdoms that we make for ourselves here on earth, God. Let us understand, help us to understand that your kingdom is greater, God, and that we should be seeking after that over all the kingdoms of the world, and over, over our own kingdoms and our own lives, God. We thank you, God, for this, this service again, God. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the gifts you've given to Lewis to help us, to, to lead us this morning in praise to you, God. I just pray again over every single person in this place that your Holy Spirit would fall as your word goes forth. I pray everything that I speak would not be my words, but they would be your words, God. And I just pray, God, that you would be glorified again. You would be glorified and you would have your way here in this place. This is your church. Jesus, you said, this is my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Jesus. So build your church today, God, as we, we are together, gathered together as your church to worship and to honor and to, to be with you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. I want to welcome you again to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. For everyone online, just want to mention again 
that we are located at 2810 Hypoluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. I want to welcome you to come and, and, and join us. 10 a.m. Sunday morning, Thursday night, 7.15 p.m. And Saturday morning for the men, we have a men's Bible study at, uh, at 9 a.m. So welcome again. Thank you all for being here. Um, as I said it, in the beginning, Pastor Joe is, is out of town today. So he asked me to uh, step in for him. So uh, I just thank you all for, for giving me that opportunity and for being here um, to listen today. Um, and I pray it wouldn't be that so much that you're listening to what I have to say, but that you would just listen to what God has to say today through his word. So today we're going to be looking at the book of Luke chapter 12. You guys can go ahead and, and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Our passage today is Luke chapter 12 verses 22 to 32. And the title of this message is Free from Worry and Free to Do God's Will. And that's essentially what we're going to talk about about today we're going to talk about worry and we're going to talk about how worry can kind of hinder us from from seeking the kingdom of God with with our whole heart and, and Jesus has some encouragements for us today to share with us that will we're going to help us to hopefully help us to think about these things and and to be free uh, from any worry so while you're turning to Luke chapter 12 um, I want to give you a little bit about a little bit of information about the context of this passage so we can understand a little better. Now, on Thursday, um, we talked about the passage that comes right before verses 22 to 32. Uh, and that is we sometimes call the parable of the rich fool. Um, and uh, we talked a lot about the context of chapter 12. So I'm not going to repeat all that, but I would encourage you. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, to go online and uh, and listen to the message from Thursday, because uh, hopefully that, because it comes right before this passage, will help to shed some light on what we're going to be talking today and vice versa. As we know, uh, different parts of, of Scripture help to interpret other Scriptures, and, uh, and uh, the more Scripture you know, the more that each part of Scripture will will open up to you and will gain a greater understanding and enlightenment of what God is saying to us through these two passages. They gave a lot of context then, so I don't want to repeat all that, um, but I do want to give you a little bit of that, which will lead right into our passage today. So chapter 12, in chapter 12, Jesus begins preaching a sermon. And this sermon is, is a really intense sermon, and it's a really intense moment. I want you to picture this in your mind. Picture a large crowd gathered to hear Jesus, like not in a building, but probably open open air out in, in the field somewhere or something. You know, you have a huge crowd of people who have come to hear Jesus. And the crowd is so large that people are actually stepping on one another. There's probably some Pharisees and some enemies of Jesus in this crowd, lying in wait, ready to trap Jesus in something he said, ready to, to find something that they, can, that they can use against Jesus to destroy him. The 12 disciples are there too, gathered around Jesus, 
Most likely there's other uh, disciples and those who followed Jesus. We know that, that some women followed Jesus as well and were disciples of him, so they're probably there too. And they're all intently that r- listening to what Jesus is saying. And Jesus begins to teach on some really serious subjects. He starts to teach on the kingdom of God and true discipleship. That's, I think, the, kind of the theme of this chapter is true discipleship. And, and what he says is pretty heavy. He, he begins by calling out the Pharisees directly. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He just pretty much right to their face says, you guys are hypocrites. And he talks about fearing God. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. That's a pretty heavy statement. He talks about confessing Christ before people and being put on trial for your faith. He talks about your life being put at at risk for following Jesus, blasphemy of the Spirit. These are really heavy topics, and this is an intense moment with all these people gathered around. And as Jesus is talking about these heavy spiritual realities, these, the intensity of, of discipleship and the kingdom of God, all of a sudden a man interrupts Jesus from the crowd. And he blurts out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, he says, Jesus, my brother won't give me my stuff. Tell him to give me my stuff. And when I read that, it really struck me because it seems like this request just has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. But I think that's actually the point. This man didn't really care what Jesus was talking about. It seems that he wasn't even listening to what Jesus was saying. This request was was so far afield. Now, in that time, it it was normal for rabbis to judge matters of inheritance So his request wasn't like totally out of place, but it was an inappropriate time to ask it. It basically had nothing to do with what Jesus was teaching on. Jesus was talking about discipleship, and this man's mind was on possessions, on inheritance, on money, on earthly matters. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God, but this man was only interested in his own kingdom. Jesus' words were about heaven, but this man's mind was stuck on earth. And Jesus refuses, though, to get involved with this man's family squabble. He refuses to let this guy pull the conversation and the, the sermon away from what Jesus wanted to talk about and on to onto more trivial things. So what Jesus does uh, is kind of a genius in his response to this man. Instead of letting this man pull the conversation away from heavenly realities and discipleship, he uses this man's interruption as an opportunity to talk more about discipleship, but specifically to, talk, to teach his disciples how they should think about material possessions. And he first gives them a warning against greed, which is what we talked about on Thursday, and he tells the parable of the rich fool to illustrate this point. Now, just to summarize, this parable is is a story about a man who God says and thinks is a greedy fool. This man was rich, and God actually blessed this man uh, who was already rich with even more possessions. It says that his land produced an abundant harvest, 
But instead of this man using his blessing to help others in need and to advance the kingdom of God and to glorify God, he just hoarded this blessing for himself. And he already had a surplus, but he added more to his own surplus so that he could live the good life and so that he could spend all his wealth on his own pleasures. And this man thought that it, this was a great idea. This is, you know, he, it says in the passage, he thought to himself, what should I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns and then I can put all my stuff there. And he thought this was just a, a great idea. But God said to him, you know what? You're a fool. And tonight you're going to die. And then what's going to happen to all your wealth and your riches? It's a strong, it's a strong rebuke. And Jesus ends his parable with this warning, he says, such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. And the point of the whole thing is, don't be like this rich fool. And Jesus tells us all these things about this man to tell us what not to do with our wealth. And then uh, without really even without really even breaking, he goes right into the passage, which we're going to look at this morning so let's let's go ahead and read that again Luke chapter 12 starting in in verse 22 actually I'll go ahead and start in verse 21 so we can link this to what has just come before it this is the warning Jesus gives us verse 21 so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God and he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot even do a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in, in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? I do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not keep on worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. So now that Jesus had finished His warning to those who have wealth about the dangers of greed. He, he now speaks in this passage to those who don't have, to those who don't have possessions. And he teaches them to be free from worry. Jesus begins by saying, For this reason I tell you, do not worry. And that's really the main point of the whole passage. I think that frames everything Jesus is saying. Here he wants to, to get this command across to us. Disciples, do not worry. Jesus doesn't want his disciples going around worrying. Now let's let's talk about worry for a moment. I mean, I don't know that I have to define it because I think we all experience it. We all really 
know pretty well what worry means, uh, but I'll define it anyway. It means to be anxious, to be unnecessarily or overly concerned, to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. And I think we all we all experience this. I mean, was even experiencing it this that this week as I was preparing this message, so <laughs> it was a little a little convicting for me but but Jesus doesn't want his disciples doing this he wants to set his disciples free from worry but Jesus in this passage isn't uh, well, let's see what is what is he telling his disciples specifically not to worry about now is he saying in this passage disciples don't worry about anything at all in in the world and in any form or fashion well, the Bible does actually kind of teach that in another place. In uh, Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in general, anxiety is really not supposed to be a part of our life as Christians. There's no need for a Christian to worry or to be anxious because we have access through prayer to God who's in control of all things. And the God who is in control of all things is also our Father, and He loves us and He cares for us. So there's really no need for the child of God to have any anxiety in their life, to worry over anything. But in this passage, Jesus is, is getting at something a little bit more specific, and He has a specific aim to His exhortation not to worry. He specifically speaks about two things that we're not supposed to worry about. He says, don't worry about your life as to what you are eat, nor for your body as to what you are, are to wear. So Jesus doesn't want his disciples worrying about food and clothing. But I, I don't think this necessarily limits uh, his message to only food and clothing. What, I'm, what I mean is I don't think Jesus is saying, okay, disciples, don't worry about food, don't worry about clothes, but when it comes to every, you know, water, he didn't specifically say, don't worry about what you're going to drink. So, so water, yeah, you should worry about that. Or, or transportation, I mean, you, you should worry if your car is going to run out of gas or, or you're, you're going to get a flat tire or you're not going to have enough money for the bus. Or maybe in his days he would have said, you know, wor don't worry about uh, your camel running out of water or something like that. But no, I, I don't think... I don't think Jesus is strictly limiting it to these only these two things. I think that's obvious, and I think that would kind of miss the whole point of the passage if we interpret it that way. But I think we can reasonably kind of expand this, this exhortation to not worry about food and clothes to include like the basic necessities of life, the daily concerns of life. So Jesus here is exhorting his disciples to not be overly concerned or worried about the daily needs of their life. He doesn't want us to be anxious about these things. He doesn't worry that we're not going to have enough food or water or a place to live or enough money for rent. He doesn't want us to obsess over how we're going to obtain those things. Because there's a lot of negative effects of, of being overly concerned with these, these daily matters of life. Um... We see that in a couple places in, in Scripture, in the parable of the sower, Jesus shows that our spiritual growth can actually be choked out or hindered by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. 
Luke 21, uh, he says, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with the dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And uh, you're all probably familiar with the story of, of Mary and Martha, and, and Jesus was, was in the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha was so worried about all these preparations that she was making for Jesus' visit that they actually distracted her from Jesus himself. So worry can hinder spiritual growth, it can weigh us down, and it can distract us from Jesus. So this is a really important lesson that Jesus has here for us. And, and I believe he's telling his disciples not to worry about these trivial things of life because he wants to set them free from all this grief that comes through worry. And by setting them free from having their minds and their hearts and their lives occupied with all these things, then disciples of Jesus can become free to do his will freely and to be able to focus more on God and the kingdom of God. So in this passage, Jesus presents us with eight reasons. I guess you could say there's, there's nine, but we're only going to talk about eight today. He presents us with eight reasons why his disciples should not worry about their basic needs and, and material possessions. And these reasons will give disciples of Jesus comfort and assurance that God is looking out for us and that God will take care of us. And then this can free us from being overly concerned and occupied with the basic needs of of life so that we can be free to focus our energies and and our efforts on the greater purposes of life that God has for us specifically the ones that concern God and his kingdom let me just uh, make this clear when I when I talk about disciples of Jesus I'm not just talking about the 12 I'm not just talking about those who are in this passage, this includes us too, because we're disciples of Jesus as well. So he wants to set us free from worry. So let's talk about these reasons. Reason number one. Disciples of Jesus shouldn't worry about their basic needs because the purpose of life is higher than just meeting our basic needs. Verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are to wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Maybe another way to say this is that there's, there's more to being alive than just obtaining our daily food and eating. There's more to life than obtaining the, the basic necessities of life that sustain us. These are not the end-all, be-all of life. These are not the ultimate or the highest purpose for which God gave us life. Now, I would say that life is not less than food and clothes. Food and clothes have an important place in our life. These, these daily needs are important. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if we, when it comes to food, if, if we don't eat anything, we'll eventually just die. So, obviously, it's important to eat food. It's an important part of life. And God made it that way. I mean... If we don't wear clothes, I don't know that we'll die, but we'll probably get arrested. And uh, if someone sees me naked, they might die themselves. But, but uh, we, we need to care about these things. We need to cover ourselves with clothing because that's what God wants. We need to eat food and, and drink water because that's the way God made it. It's an important part of life. But I think the error that we can fall into sometimes is that we elevate these things so much 
that they become the center and the focus of our life. And life becomes about pursuing our daily bread or pursuing our, our daily needs or pursuing comforts of life. And life in this passage, Jesus is saying life isn't all about that. Jesus said himself, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he was fasting, uh, and Satan said, said to um, Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Life is about more than bread. And we, we shouldn't make these things the center and the focus of our life because this isn't what life is about. So disciples shouldn't worry about their basic needs because the purpose of life is, is higher than meeting our basic needs, but also because uh, God provides food for his creation. Now, um, it, it's, it's not only that, that food is not supposed to be the center of our life, but, but we need it. And, and even though it's not the center of our life, God still makes sure that his creation and his children has food. And not only that, he is the one who is the provider of all food and all good things and all of the things that we need in this life. And Jesus uses an example from nature to, to illustrate his point here. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Now, Jesus often teaches by contrast, and he, he, he's able to make his point in this way. What I mean is that we're not birds, obviously. I, th I think you know that, but in case you don't, we're not birds. Um, but what Jesus does here is he actually contrasts disciples with birds to show that if God feeds the birds, there's even more of a reason for us to expect that God will care for us. So let's, let's walk through this verse a little bit so I can really uh, help hopefully will help to bring out the argument Jesus is making here. First of all, ravens and birds, they don't work. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. We know that birds don't have farms. They don't know how to farm. Birds don't have nine to five jobs. They don't go into a, an office and sit at a cubicle and work on a computer. They don't serve you in a restaurant. They don't fix your car. But by contrast, disciples do work. So maybe you have a nine to five job where you go into an office and work on a computer or maybe you're you work on cars or you work at a restaurant or something like that. And what, what Jesus is saying is since God provides food for ravens who don't work, how much more likely is it that God is going to provide food for his disciples who do work hard at the tasks and the jobs that God has given us? The second thing is ravens don't store. Consider the ravens. They have no, no storeroom or barn. Now, even if birds and ravens did farm or did work at restaurants or did fix your car up, they don't have savings accounts. They don't put the grain into barns. They don't store their food away for the next day. They just trust God, I guess, or they just trust that there's going to be food there for them the next day. By contrast, disciples 
do store. I mean, we probably at least have some food put away in our refrigerator for tomorrow and the next day. Maybe we have a little bit of money put away in a savings account or a retirement account because we know we're going to need it one day or there may be an emergency. Um, and, and you know what? If God provides food for the ravens who just use what they have for that day and don't really have something stored up for the next day, how much more likely is it that God is going to provide for us who do store for those emergency situations or for our, our future needs? Um, and, and by the way, maybe you, maybe you don't have enough resources to be able to store anything. Maybe you don't make enough to have a savings account. Well, that's okay because ravens don't either. They don't store or put away in barns, but yet God makes sure that they're fed every single day. So why should we worry about having our, our daily food uh, be provided for. A third thing is that birds are a valuable part of, of God's creation. They're one of God's creatures, and God cares about them, and he loves the birds. He values them. I believe God loves all of his creation, from, from the plants to the animals to, to us, everything. But humans are actually more valuable to God than birds. And we can see this in the creation account that human beings are special among all of God's creation. Sometimes we, we call the creation uh, human beings like the crown of God's creation. Um, you know, you could go really deep into this point. I, I want to talk about it because I think it, it has to do with the what you know Jesus is arguing here and a little later in the passage. But um, we, we can see the difference between humans and the creation account in a few ways. First of all, I think there is significance to the fact that, that people were made last in the created order. It's like the, the grand finale. Here's my grand finale to creation. I'm going to make man and woman. God also gave us dominion over the rest of creation, which none of the, none of the animals or birds have. God also made us in his image, which is not said of anything else in creation. That makes us very special and unique among all the things that God made. And here's what Jesus is saying. If God cares so much for the birds that he makes sure that they have food to eat every day, even though they don't work, even though they don't store away, even though you know, they're not as valuable as human beings to God, how much more likely is it? that God is going to provide for us who are the crown, the pinnacle of his creation and who are, who are seeking to do his will and follow him in everything we do. So we see, when we see how much God cares for the birds, we can, we can certainly be assured that God is going to care for us. I think this is a powerful argument that Jesus is making here. So disciples of Jesus shouldn't worry about their basic needs because life is about more than basic needs. And furthermore, God provides our basic needs. And the third thing is that worrying doesn't help us attain our basic needs anyway. He says in verse 25, And which of you by worrying can add a day to his lifespan? So I want to ask you that. Anybody here, raise your hand if through worrying you can give yourself an extra day on this earth. Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, how about one hour? Can anyone add one hour to their life by worrying? Nobody. One second? No. Neither can I. 
And Jesus says, therefore, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other things? Because worrying can't add an hour to your life. It can't add an inch to your height. Nor can it make sure that you have your food and clothes for the day that that you need. It can't provide you with these basic needs. So why do we spend so much time worrying about them? Basically, worry can accomplish nothing. So why worry? Now, reason number four is very similar to reason number two. It's basically the same point that Jesus is making about the birds. But point two was was focused on food. Specifically, this point focuses on clothes. And, and, and I would say the fourth point is this. Disciples of Jesus shouldn't worry about their basic needs because God provides clothing for his creation. And Lewis, you can uh, pull up that, that picture, please, if you can. Um, and so what Jesus does here is he does really a similar th- similar way of arguing as, as he did with the birds. He uses an example from nature to teach by contrast about God's provision. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory with clothed himself like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And I wanted to add this this picture of flowers of I think they're lilies, right? Of, of lilies up here. So you could just see the beauty of God's creation. This is how God beautifies his grass. And you know what? Grass and flowers don't work. He says they neither toil nor spin. They don't make clothes for themselves. Um, and this is how beautifully God clothes them. Now, on the on the note of work, I do want to make a little digression here to talk about work because all this all this talk about the birds not working and the flowers not working and God providing for them, it, it may give the impression that this passage is an encouragement for disciples not to work or to be lazy. And I just want to say this this passage is not an encouragement to laziness. The Bible has a lot to say about laziness and hard work. Proverbs 13 says the soul of the lazy one craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made prosperous. Proverbs 24 says the lazy one does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Proverbs 21:25 the desire of the lazy one puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. So laziness is not encouraged in the Bible. Actually, it's warned against, and hard work is encouraged. The book of Second Thessalonians, um, Paul exhorts Christians who aren't working to get to work. He says, Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and eat their own bread. So work is encouraged in the Bible, and that's not the point of this passage. Jesus isn't telling his disciples, don't work. But but that's kind of the whole point, right? Grass doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. It can't even move on its own. It's the thing that we walk on. But God gave this grass such beautiful clothes that, that are even surpassed the beauty of the clothes that King Solomon wore. Now, I want to talk about King Solomon 
for a minute and and the riches that he had to really bring out the point that Jesus make is making here. Uh, if you'd like, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 10. So we're going to read a little bit of this about Solomon's uh, glory and riches. Solomon was King David's son. He was the third king of Israel. And during Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel reaches a high point. You could say this was the, the pinnacle of the glory of the nation of Israel. Solomon was very rich. And we can get a feel for, for how rich Solomon was in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. It says, Now the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Beside that, from the traders and the wares of the merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold, using 600 shekels of gold on each large shield. He made 300, shek uh, 300 shields of beaten gold, using three minas of gold on each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. There were six steps to the throne, and a round top to the throne in its rear, and arms on each side of the seat, and the two lions standing beside the arms. Twelve lions were standing there uh, on the six steps, on the one side and on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. So, so we, we get a feel for the, the riches of Israel and of, of Solomon in that time. He sat on a gold throne with 14 gold lions around him. He drank out of gold cups and used gold forks and spoons to, to eat. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's so much so that, that it says that Silver wasn't even worth anything. They had such an abundance of gold. It doesn't speak of his clothes, but what must have been the quality of his clothes and the, the adornments he was probably wearing? I mean, we have to imagine at this point, but I imagine Solomon in a beautiful purple robe. Maybe it says a gold crown on his head and a golden scepter sitting on his golden throne with golden lines surrounding him. I mean, that's amazing and beautiful, and, and Solomon was really adorned with a lot, of, a lot of beauty. But Jesus says that not even Solomon in all of this splendor looked as beautiful as these beautiful lilies that God has made. Solomon's clothes weren't even as nice as the clothes that God made for the grass. So if grass doesn't work and God gives it clothes more beautiful than, than Solomon's clothes, but we as disciples do work, and furthermore, we're not even looking for these amazing, beautiful designer clothes. We're just needing ordinary daily clothes. How much more is God going to provide us those things, especially as we work hard at, at doing his will? This is a pretty strong argument I think Jesus is making. Grass has a short uh, also existence. He talks about it's here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, but that doesn't bother God. He still clothes it beautifully despite its its brief life span uh, despite its brief life span so how much more is he going to clothe his disciples who he's given eternal life so disciples 
really don't need to worry about their basic needs because life is about more than our basic needs. And, and even though life is about more than our basic needs, God provides them anyway. And worrying doesn't help us get them. And the fifth reason is, is this disciples shouldn't worry about their basic needs because disciples of Jesus are meant to have a different attitude as the rest of the world when it comes to material needs. Verse 29, Jesus says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep on worrying, for all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. Now, first I want you to notice that in addition to telling us not to worry, Jesus adds in this verse this idea of seeking. So we're not supposed to worry about daily needs, but we're also not supposed to seek after them. Now, what is, let's talk about what does seek in this context mean. Um, we can define it like this. Seek means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective, to strive for something, to aim at something, to try to obtain something. Now, this word was also used in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. You remember the story when Jesus was 12 years old? Joseph and Mary, uh, they took him to Jerusalem, and on their way back, they lost, him, they lost Jesus. They came back to the temple. They found him there talking with the teachers. You probably are familiar with that story. And when Mary found him, uh, she said to Jesus, Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And that, that the same word in Greek is used to translate seek here is also used to translate this anxious looking. Kind of like, so it's, it's got this, it's got this idea of like uh, this frantic seeking. I mean, imagine if, if you lost your child, how hard and how much you would strive to, to look to and find them. It's also used in Luke 5.18 of the, man, the men who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. You probably remember the story. They were trying to get through the crowds to bring this man to Jesus to be healed, but they couldn't, so they dug a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down into the house to get him to Jesus. And it's that kind of pushing your way through the crowd, that kind of desperate seeking and striving that Jesus is talking about when he, when he says seek here. There's effort in this seeking. There's striving. There's devotion. And Jesus says when it comes to material needs, don't seek after them like this. Don't put your whole heart into getting the daily needs of life. And don't worry about them because this is what the nations of the world do. In other words, this is what people that are not my disciples, this is how the world operates. And I want you to be different than the world. The world is constantly striving after and worrying about needs and possessions. And Jesus is saying my disciples are supposed to be different with different desires, different ambitions, going a totally different purpose and focus of life. William Hendrickson puts it this way. What Jesus is saying is that believers must differ in their inner yearnings. They must set their hearts on different things. They must be controlled by different ideals, and they must be motivated by a different love. Reason number six, disciples shouldn't worry about their needs because God already knows exactly what we need. Um, this is what he says, I believe, in, in verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 31. Let me just read it again real quick here. Okay, I lost my place here. 
Verse 31, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. God already knows exactly what we need. He's the one who created our body. He's the one who gave us the need for food. So when he tells us, don't worry about these things, it's not some, some person who doesn't understand our needs. It's not some person who doesn't, doesn't know that we actually need these. You can't say, God, you don't understand, though. If I don't, if I don't get food to eat, I'm, I'm going to die. No, God knows that because he made us with those needs. And not only did he make us, but this verse points out that he is our father. It says, your father knows that you need these things. And that's the seventh reason. Disciples shouldn't worry about their basic needs because the God that knows what we need is our Father. And what kind of good father would just leave his children to starve and, and leave them out in the cold, starving and naked? I don't think maybe some fathers, some horrible fathers would do that. Maybe Satan would do that. But... Would a good father do that? Why, and, and if a good father, a good earthly father wouldn't do that, why do we think that God would do that to us? So we have no need to worry because we have God as our father. And the last reason that disciples shouldn't worry is because we actually have a promise here from Jesus himself that all of these things that we need, food, clothes, and our basic needs, would be added to us if we seek God's kingdom. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Just like those who are not disciples of Christ seek after and strive after basic needs, material possessions, the things of this world, that's, that word seek that, that was just talking about. So disciples of Jesus need to take that that seeking, you know, take away, stop seeking the things of this world and take all that effort and that energy of, of seeking the things of the world and putting into seeking God's kingdom. Disciples of Jesus are to put that same effort into going after God's kingdom. Now I want to give you a, a couple quotes of, of what it means to seek God's kingdom that has been suggested by others. These are just quotes from a few different Bible commentators. Uh, according to I. Howard Marshall, to seek God's kingdom means to seek the spiritual blessings of the kingdom rather than material needs. Robert Stein says that it means to pursue those things involved with the kingdom of God rather than material possessions. Daryl Bach says that it's to be engaged in the pursuit of representing God on earth to seek God's rule. William Hendrickson says it is to see, see to it that the rule of God is being established more and more in our own lives and in the lives of others. But I like this last definition the best. I think it fits our, our passage the best. D.A. Carson says that to seek God's kingdom is to set one's aim in life on God himself and the accomplishment of his purpose of bringing all life under his rule. It's taking all that energy which you used to do to seek to meet your own needs and to seek food and clothing and other things and taking that and redirecting that and putting all of that effort onto seeking God's face and onto doing His will. So let me uh, close by just going over these, um, these reasons why not to worry again. Uh, so disciples shouldn't worry about their basic needs. 
because life is about more than our basic needs, because God provides food, clothes, and all of our basic needs anyway. And it, furthermore, worrying doesn't help us to obtain these needs anyway. Disciples of Jesus are to have a different attitude from the rest of the world when it comes to needs and material possessions. And furthermore, God already knows exactly what we need, and he is our Father. And we have a promise from Jesus himself that everything we need will be added to us as we seek God's kingdom. A lot of strong reasons not to get caught up in worrying about material possessions. So I want to exhort you, just as Jesus is in this passage, disciples, do not worry because God cares about you. I want you to be free from worry today. God wants you to be free from worry today. God wants you to be free from being caught up in the rat race of life, from being caught up in, in the material and the trivial things of, of this world, not that they don't have a place in our life, but to put them in the proper place in our life so that we can be freed and released from the bondage of, of these things so that we can be freed to seek more of God, to do more of God's will, to know God more and to seek his kingdom and to bring, let his kingdom be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And as you guys do that, as you let go of worry, as you let go more and more of the things of this world to, to shift your focus more and more onto God and onto to his things and his ways and his kingdoms, he has promised to provide for you along the way. So we have no, no need to worry because God the owner, master, Lord of all things, and our provider is our Father who loves and cares for us. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this amazing passage tonight. Jesus, I thank you for speaking these, these words this morning. I pray that everything that was said here, we would not just leave it and forget about it, God, but that it would just... It would just churn and turn in our minds. We would, we would chew on it like a, like a piece of gum or something, God, as, as we meditate on these things, as we go over and over these things, God, and that we would not be like the man who just looks in the mirror and just walks away and forgets what he looks like without fixing himself up, God. I pray that we would apply these things to our life and make changes to our life, God. And I pray for everyone here, including myself, who from time to time, I'm sure, worries about maybe we're not going to have enough to eat. Maybe we're not going to have enough to pay our bills, God. I pray we wouldn't become obsessed with those things. I pray we wouldn't become in bondage to those things, God. I pray we wouldn't become weighed down by the worries and cares of this life. We would be free to fly high, God, like a bird, God, like an eagle, God, flying high into, into the things of heaven and the things of your kingdom, God, and that you would help us to shift our focus away from the things of this world and onto the things that pertain to you and life uh, and the kingdom of God and those more important and higher purposes that you have for us, God. I thank you for the blessing of today, God. May you just bless each and every person here as they leave today. I pray we'd have a great time of fellowship after God and that you would just continue to work in our hearts and our lives and be glorified through everything we do God we give you all the glory the honor and the praise in Jesus name amen amen as pastor Joe says I love you all um, I want to invite anyone who who feels uh, like they would like to to, to come up here for prayer uh, we can pray together after 
And uh, other than that, you guys are dismissed. Do you want to come and pray? <laughs>